Welcome to the Authentic Church Podcast with Jeff and Fawn Peterson in Orange County, California, where our mission is simply to love God, love people, and live authentic. For more information on Authentic Church, visit us online at AuthenticOC.com. Thank you for listening. Anybody get other fireworks yet? Did you go get your fireworks yet? Man, we did. I might be donating my <laughs> kidney to <laughs> hopefully receive payment for it, but uh, no, it was fun. We, we took the kids, and you know, now I re, I, as we're reading, and the kids are like, hey, can we get that? I want, I want the purple rain. Um, I want this one, and I'm like, the what? You know, and, and like, the, I want the centennial blah, 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 whatever, you know. It's like they got all these names for fireworks. And, you know, back, I don't know what it was like for you, but when I was a kid, we had like M80s, you know, like, you know, bottle rockets, Roman candles, you know, that we would point at each other and have Roman candle fights. I don't know. I remember, you know, I think I was like six years old, five or six, lighting my first firework, you know, and I meet some people in California and they're like, you let your kids light fireworks? They've never lit, a, lit off a firework in their life. And I'm like, yeah. <laughs> Fawn, I give my wife a bad time sometimes. She, our, where we grew up, we grew up five miles apart from each other. So there was Kent and then there was Federal Way. Federal Way was, had a unique name, but it was like, it was a little bit more high class than the people in Kent. And um, so I was joke. I said, you can take the girl out of Kent, but you can't take the Kent out of the girl, right? You know, it was like, you know, their favorite firework was like exploding tree, you know, you know. Or if the neighbors, her parents, they got some unique neighbors. And so you wouldn't be surprised if you saw a firework that you would call flaming drunk. <laughs> you know, it's like. Oh, the colors, <laughs> you know, somebody put that guy out, <laughs> you know, like wild America. That's what we do. I remember actually, you know, one time uh, I met this family and this guy was a worship leader and uh, the, it, my friend's dad was a worship leader at this, this church and he played the piano and stuff. And uh, they, we used to do this thing where you'd light the M80 and then you'd throw it. And so it boom, right. But if you had a fuse that went really fast, it could blow off your thumb and you wouldn't be able to play piano anymore at church. Like, so uh, no matter what Katy Perry tells you, you are not a firework, baby. Okay. So, so be careful, be safe and sane with your fireworks. Luke chapter nine, uh, verse 23 through 24. Uh, we're in the middle of a, a series that we titled all in. And today we're going to talk about the birth of America and some people that went all in. Uh, for the things of God and all, all in for freedom. And in Luke 9, chapter 9, Jesus makes this statement. He says to them all, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for my sake will save it. And you know, 245 years ago today marks the Declaration of Independence. 245 years ago to this day, the founding fathers, they gathered together. They had this crazy idea. It was brewing for a little bit. There was some agitation with uh, their, their, uh, their old British brothers. <laughs> there was some agitation that was growing with the taxation that was happening. I mean, the Boston Tea Party, you know, like they, they overturned the world with the Boston Tea Party. And that was a slight increase on taxes. I wonder what they would do <laughs> today. <laughs> but 245 years ago, they got together. There was 56 signers of that Declaration of Independence. 29 of them held a degree from seminary. And I find it interesting that you, you, you have to really go and research this history to even know the history so much anymore. 
because truth is being twisted. Truth is being thrown out. Uh, truth is relative. People are questioning truth. What is truth? You're telling me there's two genders? I believe there's 450 genders. Uh, you know, it's like, you know, people want to believe whatever we want to believe. I don't want somebody else telling me what I need to believe, but there's, there is, there is truth. And if you go back and you look through the history books, if you go and actually do some research, you find that the founding fathers that developed this nation were Christians. Um, I, I, I grabbed in, in terms of preparing for today. Today, by the way, is going to be a little bit more of a teaching talk. So if you'll give me a little bit of a leeway today, um, we're going to have a little bit of size. You're going to feel like you're in U.S. history class, but I pray it's going to be the best U.S. history class with a Christian spin that you ever took, okay? There's... <laughs> But our nation was founded under God with Christian principles. You can't get away from that. You can't separate the two. And I'm going to show you some things today that'll help reiterate that. John Quincy Adams, you know, he thought the Bible was so important that this guy actually published an outline that taught 10-year-olds and above how to read through the Bible in a year. Back then, you would read the Bible through every single year. And that, that was a standard. And so when the founding fathers got together... They got together and they founded everything on the word of God. And in fact, if you take a look at your Bill of Rights, the Declaration of Independence, you take a look at all, th all through these things that are now a part of our Constitution, they were actually, you can go and find scriptures on them. And he had this to say about the Bible. He said, with regard to the history contained in the Bible, it is not so much praiseworthy to be acquainted as it is shameful to be ignorant of it. Like they thought, they held the Bible in such high regard that if you didn't know the Bible, it was almost shameful. It was almost disgraceful. Like how could you even be here? How can you call yourself an American without knowing the Bible? Back then the Bible was so ingrained in, our, in, our, in the formation of our government that it would be odd not to know anything about the Bible. President Zachary Taylor uh, he had the nickname Rough and Ready, and you can tell why looking at his beautiful picture here. He said, especially should the Bible be placed in the hands of the young, it is the best school book in the world. This is from a president, mind you. I would that all of our people were brought up under the influence of that holy book. The best school book in the world. That's what he called it. And it wasn't until 1963 that we threw out the Bible. Uh, for 320 years, the Bible was actually taught in our schools from 16, I think it was 1647 to 1963. I think, I don't, yeah, okay, it's, uh, 1647 to 1963, the Bible was actually utilized in schools. And it was understood throughout the nation when you talked about the United States of America, when you talked to those crazy Americans, everybody knew that America was a Christian nation. Up until that time, if you want to go back and you, you go back before the pilgrims came over and everything else, whatever the king was, you were. So if the king's Catholic, guess what you are today? Catholic. That king dies, a new king comes, and that king's Anglican. Guess what you get to do when you go to church now? You're Anglican. That king dies, a new king comes. Whatever the king was, you would have to be. And it wasn't until America came that there was freedom of religion and what a powerful concept that that was, how that just, that just exploded the world. And Moses said this in Exodus 33, uh, verse 13. He, he's talking about the presence of God, and that's one of the things for us. You know, we, we like to say we're a Bible-based, spirit-empowered, presence-driven church. Uh, and that's out of the Bible, actually. Exodus 33, Moses said this. He said, if you're pleased with me, 
Teach me your ways so that I may know you and continue to find favor with you. Remember that this nation is your people. Come on, that's a good prayer, right? The Lord replied, my presence will go with you, Moses, and I will give you rest. Then Moses said to him, hey, if your presence doesn't go with us, don't, don't send us up from here. In other words, I don't want to go. If your presence doesn't want to go, then I don't want to go there. In verse 16, how will anyone know that you are pleased with me and your, in, in your people unless you go with us? What else distinguishes us from the other people on the face of the earth? The presence of God, the founding fathers knew that. That was the only thing that was going to distinguish them from any other nation that was, that was out there, that they were standing strong for the things of God. And God's presence still distinguishes us. A.W. Tozer uh, said this. I love this quote about taking action. He said, prayer will become effective when we, that's a we, when we stop using it as a substitute for obedience. Prayer will become effective when we stop using it as a substitute for obedience. The founding fathers, the 56 signers of the Declaration of Independence, they were guys that, you know, they, they, they took the bull by the horns, man. They were willing to lose everything they owned, be killed, their, their spouse, their children, their farms, everything for the sake of freedom. And, um, and it wasn't just founded by some people that kind of occasionally prayed or kind of occasionally read the Bible, they stood on it. President Andrew Jackson had this to say about the Bible. He said, the Bible is the rock upon which our republic rests. And Teddy Roosevelt, one time, he was asked, uh, you know, what makes America so special? And he said, the teachings of the Bible are so interwoven and, and entwined with our civic and social life that it would be impossible for us to figure what life would be if these teachings were removed. In the Bill of Rights, the Bill of Rights that shaped our country, uh, they were actually based on verses out of the Bible. In fact, the founding fathers, they had over 30 verses for the First Amendment, uh, First Amendment rights for free speech. There were scriptures that supported the right to keep and bear arms in the Second Amendment, uh, the sanctity of the home in the Third Amendment, and also having pro private property in the Fifth Amendment. They based all of these things on the scriptures. And, um, and we, you know, as a nation, we used to know all of that stuff. And that, that was common. That was taught in the, in the late uh, 1700s and the 1800s through the 1900s. It wasn't until the early to mid-1900s that slowly those things started going away. And you started seeing less and less of that. You started hearing less and less of that. And um, United Nations, America is obviously part of the United Nations. There's 193 nations that make up the United Nations. Now, America, we're 245 years old. The average length of any nation to live under one constitution is only 17 years. That's the average length. So you take a look at 193 nations. And so we look at America and we think like this is normal. Peace is normal. The prosperity we experience is normal. It's, it's not normal. In all of the history of the world, it's not normal. Uh, so in the United Nations, America has been around obviously 245 years today. France has had 15 constitutions since we've had one. The nation of France has had 15 since we had one. Um, Poland has had seven different constitutions since 1917. Russia has had four since 1919. Afghanistan has had five since 1923. So we have had one for 245 years. All to say that doesn't come easy. All that say that doesn't come without a price and all that say that that doesn't come without a level of importance and responsibility for us as Americans. Amen. 
We're so used to stability, prosperity, and safety that we think it's natural, but it's really the hand and blessing of God. In fact, we represent, if you take a look at the blessing, let's just take a look at the financial aspects. America represents 4% of the, of the population in the world, yet we make up over 30% of the gross domestic products. So, so of all the products that are produced in the world, we, we actually, we have a foothold of 30% of the market share on that, if you will. But we only represent 4% of the, of the population. Like, that's just unheard of. We're still, despite with all of our issues, okay, despite with whatever president comes in and whatever president goes out, with the, despite whatever laws that get passed and those that they throw away, we still, to this day, are the most blessed country in the world. But there is character that shaped America. And when you ask people who shaped America, people typically will think of leaders like George Washington, uh, Thomas Jefferson, Ben Franklin, John Hancock, etc., which is a great list. But the, the, a lot of those people weren't necessarily married, mentioned 200 years ago. 200 years ago, John Adams was actually uh, uh, asked this question. And, um, and so it was 1816, so it was about 50 years after the Declaration of Independence. Uh, most of the signers had died. The average lifespan back then was only 33 years, so most of, the, most of the signers had died. And so you have this new generation that's rising up. And so they asked John Adams, they said, hey, what, what, who, who, helped to shape, who helped to shape America? And he didn't mention any one of those people. Let me tell you some of the names of the people that he mentioned. Reverend Dr. Samuel Cooper. Reverend Dr. Jonathan Mayhew. Reverend George Whitfield. A lot of people can recognize that name. And Reverend Charles Chauncey. He mentioned those guys, those guys that preached from the pulpits, those guys that actually preached messages for 20 years. They went back and looked at some of the messages by those guys because they would handwrite all of their messages and notes and they would save them. They went back, historians went and looked through all of their messages and they look and they're like, oh wow, the Declaration of Independence, it's like, uh, it's like the cliff notes of all these messages and sermons that they've been be preaching in the pulpits for 20 years leading up to the American Revolution. Um, one of the other things that I found was interesting, if you take a look at the rich history, the black history in the United States, we had gentlemen like Bishop Richard Allen, who we don't hear about, and uh, Reverend Absalom Jones, um, and, and uh, uh, Lemuel Haynes, uh, Henry Hoosier, some people recommend the name, recommend the name, recommend, they, they, they can recognize, thank you, recognize for 200 from the front row. Hey, it's a lot of facts and figures to remember today, people. <laughs> Henry Hoosier. <laughs> Some of you might recognize his name, especially if you're from the state of Indiana. Indiana Hoosiers, okay? They're called the Hoosiers because of Henry, Hoosiers, who, Henry Hoosier, who was a powerful evangelist, this black pastor that would travel around and he would preach the gospel and the fire would fall and so many people would get saved that then they started following him and they go, oh, you're one of Hoosiers guys. And then they would call him a Hoosier. We don't even hear about these incredible stories of these men of God. And, and all of these guys that I just mentioned, they actually picked up arms. They got their guns and they went and fought in the American Revolution for the freedom of the United States. And we don't even hear about them anymore. And it's kind of like there's, there's, this, there's this whole group that's trying to erase the past, the Christian roots that you have, trying to lead America down the wrong path. But not on my watch. John Adams pointed... <laughs> John Adams pointed to these preachers and pastors as leaders who helped to, to, to shape our country. The Declaration of Independence, that they, they had, a, you know, obviously there was a list of, was it 27 grievances that they wanted to see uh, changed. And it was all based upon these guys. 
and what they were what they would stand for. So the Declaration of Independence, how did it come form? And we're going to kind of camp out on some stuff here with these guys. So uh, in uh, September of 19 or 17, excuse me, December of 1774. Thank you. Um, so they ended up having uh, the, the first Continental Congress. And this is the first time that these 13 colonies, represented from these 13 colonies, this is the first time that they get together. So they were growing agitated with what was going on with Great Britain at that time. And so they all said, hey, we're going to get together. We need to talk about some things. We're not going to follow these laws. We're not going to pay this stupid tax. We're not going to, like, enough is enough. We need to get together and talk about it. So these guys get together. And so the first time you're having people from Massachusetts meet the guys from Delaware, meet the people from Virginia, et cetera, et cetera. So they get together and they take role. And then the next morning on September the 6th, they end up getting together. You want to know the first thing they did? They had a prayer meeting. And it wasn't one of those dinky little prayers like you hear nowadays to open up, you know, like some governmental business and it'll be like a, a one minute prayer that's been typed out and recited a million times in the mirror for the guy before he comes and presents it. No, it was actually a prayer meeting. Historians go, but you can go back and look at this in the, I can't remember what book it is. Anyways, it's in there, but you go back, historians uh, talk about it. It was a prayer meeting that went for two hours. The founding fathers, the first gathering together of Congress, <laughs> first act of Congress, they gathered together and they had a prayer meeting for two hours. And not only did they pray for two hours, they studied four chapters of scriptures, four chapters of scriptures. In fact, John Adams writes to his wife, Abigail, and he tells, he tells her, he goes, Hey honey, I want you to go and read Psalms 35. Go read Psalms 35. Tell your dad to read it. Tell all of our family. I want it read to the children. It's so important. We read that this morning. You wouldn't believe how the Lord spoke to us. John Adams wrote that. So here they are, these signers of the Declaration of Independence. And um, John Adams had this quote. This is one of the things that they talked about there is actually declaring a holy fast. They said, we feel like God is leading us. It's so much. They were so blown away by the presence of God in that prayer meeting that they actually thought these guys, farmers, some of them, you know, had different businesses. One was a judge, but that, you know, if you're a judge, that's not necessarily, you weren't making money off of that. You were serving and volunteering your time to be a judge. You were elected, but you were volunteering your time. You weren't getting paid for it. Most of these guys had land and property and stuff like that. They worked. And so they get together and, and, um, and they said, you know what? We are so moved by the presence of God. We should declare a holy fast. They were so moved. And by reading the scriptures, when they read the logos, the rhema word came to them and they thought, we can defeat the British, the greatest superpower in the entire nation for the first time ever. We actually feel we can defeat them. And so John Adams, he writes to his wife and he says this, he says, millions of people, when they called the Holy Fast, I don't know if we have that, John Adams, millions of people would be upon their knees at once before their great creator, imploring his forgiveness and blessings, his smiles on America's council and arms. Don Adams writes to his wife and he talks about this. He said, he's basically saying, honey, can you imagine if three, that was about three, that's what the country was back then. It was about 3 million people. He's saying, honey, can you imagine if 3 million people got on their faces before our heavenly father? Do you know what, they, what could happen? If 3 million people repented before God, if 3 million people really called on the name of the Lord, could we see something happen? And so they got together and, and they, they prayed and they decided we're going to declare a fast. So they declared a fast and then the message went out to all the different colonies that, hey, we're going to pray and fast. And then they got back together about five months later 
uh, to reconvene as, as Congress. And they, they, and every one of them was like, this has happened in our colony. The guys from Delaware are like, you wouldn't believe what's happening in our colony. And the guys from Virginia are like, us too. We're seeing the blessing of God. We're seeing this happen. And they were so blown away by the providence of God, the provision of God. They said, you know what? Now we need to declare a day of prayer and thanksgiving. So that's what happened. So they started getting together and they would say, we're going to have a, a time of prayer and thanksgiving at what God has done for the nation. So they do that. And then about four or five months later, they go, oh man, this is happening now. The British are turning up the heat on us. This is going on, etc. We need to declare another fast. So they go and they declare another fast and back and forth. And they have this volley of, they would declare prayer and fasting. And then they'd get together four or five, six months later. And they'd say, Hey, God is so good. Let's pray. And let's have a time of Thanksgiving. And then they'd get together four or five months later. And it's like, Oh man, we need to fast and pray some more. So they turn up the heat and pray and fast some more. And then a few months later, they get together and be like, look at what God has done. We should have prayer and Thanksgiving. That would happen over 1400 times by the time we get to 1815, 1400 times America had a congressional call to prayer and fasting. And we don't even we don't even hear about this in the history books. Our nation was founded on the principles that are found in the Bible. Our nation is a Christian nation. Second Chronicles 7.14, this was one of the scriptures they stood on. You know it. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then I will hear from heaven. I will forgive their sin and heal their land. So out of 56 signers, 29 hold seminary degrees. And uh, you take a look at them and a lot of people, they wouldn't even know them. Uh, I was listening to a talk in preparation for the message and uh, it was by a guy who was giving a talk at Duke University about the founding fathers, specifically the signers of the Declaration of Independence. And he asked all these students at one of the top universities in the nation, and he put up a picture of all the signers and he said, hey, I want you guys to point out to me a few of the signers. And they were like, uh, there's George Washington. Uh, there's Thomas Jefferson. There's, there's Benjamin Franklin. And they couldn't come up with anybody. And they went along the front row and they couldn't, you know, like, yeah, we don't know anybody. And so the, the guy that was giving the talk went down the front row and told about some people. One of the, one of the favorite guys that I looked up, there's a few, and I'll, I'll, I'll talk about him here in a moment, but one guy was named Robert, Roger Sherman. And uh, you probably never heard about him, but he was the only founding father to sign all of the, the four founding documents. So the Continental Association Declaration of Independence, Articles of Confederation, and the Constitution. So he was the only guy to sign all four of those. Uh, he was a judge and a mayor of New Haven. He helped to, be, he helped to, he helped to frame what, we, what became the Bill of Rights. He was one of only six guys who signed the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution. He came, with the, he came up with the Electoral College System. Uh, to make it fair for the elections across all the United States, uh, the bicameral system, House of Regis uh, Representatives, Senate, all that stuff that makes up the Congress. But he was also a theologian. A lot of people don't know that. He uh, actually wrote the doctrinal creed for his denomination in Connecticut. And this guy, he, he lived till he was 95 years old when the average lifespan was 33 years, this guy. And um, Rod Roger, Roger Sherman and, um, and he, he had this quote, he said, God commands all men everywhere to repent. He also commands them to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and has assured us that all who do repent and believe shall be saved. That's scripture out of Ephesians. <laughs> so here's one of the founding fathers quoting the Bible when he's, when he's asked, what, what, what do you stand for? 
And people say, well, the founding fathers, we don't believe that they were Christian. We believe that they were atheists or whatever. You don't get that at all when you go and you actually do some research on these people and you take a look at actually what they truly did stand for. Um, and, and this guy's practice, Roger Sherman, one of his practice was he would purchase a new Bible. Every time he went away to Congress, when they would meet, he would go and purchase a brand new Bible and he'd bring it to Congress and he would read it all throughout and study it. And he would use that as they're talking and what should we do and what laws should we form and et cetera. And then he would use the Bible for a source of wisdom and praying and believing that God was going to speak to him. And then when he'd get home from Congress, he would give that Bible to one of his kids. Well, he had 15 kids. So he read through the Bible 15 times every time he'd go into Congress. I mean, you've got to be in Congress a long time to read through the Bible 15 times if you're bringing it back for your kids. Every, every one of them gets their own Bible. And um, just a remarkable man. There was another guy, Charles Carroll. Charles Carroll ended up being um, uh, the oldest member. Sorry, I said Roger Sherman lived to 95. That was wrong. Charles Carroll lived to 95. He was the oldest member um, of the Declaration of Signers and Independence. And he had this to say, Charles Carroll. He said, I am grateful to Almighty God for the blessings which through Jesus Christ our Lord he had conferred on my beloved country. You know, for these guys, they, they, they truly, you've heard the quote, find something worth living for and then, or worth dying for and then go live for it. Go give your life away for it. That's what they felt. President Harry Truman, the 33rd president of the U.S., he said, he said this about America. He said, this is a Christian nation. The fundamental basis of our Bill of Rights comes from the teachings which we get from Exodus, St. Matthew, Isaiah, St. Paul. I don't think we emphasize that enough these days. These days was back in 1945, <laughs> okay. And he was saying, we don't emphasize it enough back then. And that quote, by the way, that quote was from a speech that he was giving to all the attorney generals of the United States. So United, he's giving a talk to all the AGs, the attorney generals, <laughs> the AGs. He's giving a talk to all the attorney generals of the United States, all these guys that are supposed to uphold the law in their, in their specific states. And he's telling them, hey, the Bible is the basis for everything that we do. Don't you forget about the Bible. We're a Christian nation. Exodus 33, going back to that, if your present doesn't go with us, don't send us up from here. It's the only thing that distinguishes us. John Quincy Adams, he had this to say about the 4th of July and what happened on that great day. He said, the birthday of the nation is in, indissolubly linked with the birthday of the Savior, which is Christmas. It forms a leading event in the progress of the gospel. The, day, the Declaration of Independence first organized the social compact on the foundation of the Redeemer's mission upon earth and laid the cornerstone of human government on the first precepts of Christianity. So in other words, what he's saying there, he was saying basically there was two recognized holidays that we had. We had Christmas, which was the birth of Christ, which brought Christian principles into the world. And then he says the other religious holiday that we recognize is the 4th of July, when we brought those Christian principles into a nation. And so that's what they stood on. And, and, and we're, we're celebrating, obviously we're celebrating freedom, which is awesome and great, but for them, they really viewed it as it's a religious holiday, no different than you would celebrate Christmas. Galatians 5.1 says, for freedom Christ has set us free, stand firm therefore and do not submit again to that yoke of slavery, that we're free people. And I just want to encourage us today, don't submit 
to whatever that yoke of slavery is that's trying to put you back another step, another step in Christ and, and anything that you see that tries to put our nation back. That's why for us, uh, when we launched Authentic Church in September, September 13th of last year, um, we, we met. Um, we, we felt like we were supposed to. Uh, I know every pastor, every leader, every church has to do what you feel God's calling you to do, but we really felt very strongly that we need to and should be a voice in a very dark time uh, in the year that we were having and so we, we stood on our, our rights to continue to gather for worship, our freedom of worship. We don't think that that went away just because there's, you know, some, something that's going on in the world that, it, that suddenly that's going to take away our ability to worship. We felt like it was our right and our duty, quite frankly, to continue to gather and, wor- and worship. John Adams, he was concerned that there would be a day where future generations would forget the magnitude of what took place. Uh, so he wrote this. He had this quote on posterity. He said, posterity, you will never know how much it costs the present generation to preserve your freedom. I hope you will make good use of it. For if you do not, I shall repent in heaven that I ever took half the pains that I did to preserve it. In other words, he's saying, don't make me sit in heaven regretful of the sacrifice that I gave that you're just giving away. So America is not this like happy accident. It's not, it's not just like, oh, wow, isn't it cool? We've been here for 245 years. No, it was the hand of God and dedication by people. Like that quote that we read from A.W. Tozer, it's not just praying something and hoping something happens. It's actually taking a stand and doing something about it, right? I, I can pray a lot of prayers, but if I never go out and share the gospel of anybody, do, am, I really, am I really believing what I'm praying? You know, Jesus said in, in Matthew 28, Jesus said, uh, he, he gave this charge as the, the Great Commission, and we don't have it on the screen, so I'll just tell you from memory. But he said this in Matthew 28. He's, he's, this is his last words. He said, I want you guys to go. I don't want you to stay where you're at. I want you to go. I want you to go out. I want you to preach the gospel. I want you to make disciples. I want you to baptize them. I want you to teach them everything that I've taught you. I want you to walk in this freedom that you have. And for us as a church, I take anything Jesus said, I take that really seriously. Like this is cool historical documents. And I hope this kind of encourages you a little bit and gives you a little bit more grounding that we are a Christian nation. All right. So when people say, oh, America's not a Christian. No, no, we are a Christian nation. The only reason that we've been this blessed is because we were founded on Christian principles. And I hope you take that away. More than anything, though, I hope you take away the fact that you've been set free. Who the son is, who's made free is free indeed. You're free. You can walk in freedom. You can walk in freedom in Christ. There's no freedom like freedom in Christ. We can get together, hoop and holler, blow stuff up. It's great. It's fun. And I hope we do that and hope you have a good time today. But above all, I hope that we really remember the freedom that we have in Christ. Uh, some of the information um, that, I've, that I've shared and, and kind of as I wrap up was from, a, there's a website that's a great resource. If you uh, are like me and you love history, I'm a history buff, uh, if you can't tell. Um, but there's a website called wallbuilders.com. And it was founded by a guy, he's a great historian, strong Christian gentleman, David Barton founded it. And you can go there, there's lots of information and resources. Um, But I want to encourage you, even as we stare down the future, um, you know, I don't necessarily uh, believe that the church should be like super political, but I do believe the people of the church should be super political. I do believe the people of that church, that house of worship should be involved in roles of government. That's how it was actually back in the day. And it's, it was only in the last few, uh, like 50 years when you saw this mass exodus because of so much blessing and prosperity that we've seen, then we kind of, as a church, as a people, we kind of rested on our laurels, laurels and we were kind of like, Ah, man, the school board seems like a lot of time. Somebody else can do it. 
Well, the somebody that wanted to do it is the somebody that wanted to teach your five-year-old that they can pick and choose any gender that they want to be in school. That's happening in Irvine School District, by the way. That stuff's right close to home. It's happening right here in your own backyard. So in the future, I like, I was talking to my buddy Chris, who's sitting on the front row here, and he was saying, you know what? I think I'm going to look at running for school board. And I think that... <laughs> And I approve of this message. <laughs> no, but if we all took a stance in some form or another, and, and, and don't look at it as just, hey, man, it's a, it's a responsibility. It's, it's a privilege. It's an honor that we live in this country. It's an honor for us to preserve it. You know, in, in everything that the founding fathers did, if you read through some more, John Adams is the most quoted guy because, quite frankly, he was the one that wrote the most. <laughs> he was the one that journaled most, and they found all these letters that he had written to his wife, Abigail. And so that's where a lot of the context for some of this stuff comes from, um, is you get it from his letters of going back and forth with his wife and communicating. And, uh, you know, you, but, they, but they all, they, they, they weren't living for themselves. They were living for the next generation. And... As a society, America's gotten so about me, myself, and I, and I want it now, and, and we don't put off and, and have delayed gratification, right? We want it now. That's why credit cards exist, right? We want it now. But this generation, they, they, they so viewed and wanted to hold something dear for that next generation. They wanted to give them something. I just hope that our, our children will be able to same thing, say the same thing about us. Isaiah 520 says, what sorrow... For those who say that evil is good and good is evil, the dark is light and the light is dark. That bitter is sweet and sweet is bitter. In other words, those people that are calling everything that's evil in the world, they're saying, no, it's actually good. That's, it's okay. And everything that's good, you have somebody that stands for truth and strength, stands for the things of Christ, and they're like, they call you a bigot, you know? Like we get it so flip-flop. But I get encouraged out of Ephesians 6, where it says, finally, Paul's writing this. He says, finally, and this is where we're going to end today. I'll have the worship team go ahead and join me now. Uh, Paul says this. He says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Verse 14 says, stand strong. So I want to encourage us, man, stand strong. Stand strong for what you believe. Stand strong on the word of God. Stand strong and be prideful for America. Stand strong for this great land that we've, I mean, it is such a blessing to live in this country. People that live in poverty in America, they live, their lifestyle is better they're, they're at a higher economic level than the 50% the of the middle class of Europe. Poverty, below poverty level here in America. You're 50%, you're, you're, you're above that 50% level of where Europe is for their middle class. And we can complain and everything, and America, you know, hasn't been the best country. We've made mistakes. We got warts on our nose, we've done some stupid stuff. But overall, there's been no other nation that has sought God more that has done more for the church, for Christianity, than people that were Christians in this nation. Missionaries all over the world, they still look at America as a Christian nation. Most of the missionaries that are around the world receive their funding from churches and people in America. 
For more information on Authentic Church, visit us online at AuthenticOC.com.